welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, the podcast where we take a light dive into this week's Torah portion. We connect it to other themes in Judaism, and we see how we can learn from this Parsha each week. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Seleka, and I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. Hi, Paul. Hey, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. I'm having a good day. Glad to be recording this podcast. Talking about Chaya Sara. It's a good one. Good I, you. It's a good I'm one, good. isn't it? Yeah, I'm good. I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling like there's a lot to look forward to. I've mm-hmm. loving all the snow outside on the ground. The days, the the nights, the nights come early and quickly, but the days are so bright with the white snow. It's the um, crisp. I feel it. I can feel it in the air. Uh, what are you up to this weekend, Paul? What I'm getting up to, and I know this. I did this a few weeks ago. I will be taking the treacherous drive up to Simcoe County for the weekend because I just Ooh. love it up there. And it's the absolute last day we can go. My father was like, please do not drive up north this weekend. But it's going to happen. I just need to be mm. there for only one day, too. We have to leave early Sunday so that we can visit my mom on Sunday. So what are we? Let's, where are we Where are we in the Torah week? this week? Kaye. Sarah, Sarah mm. life of Sarah, life. Is, is it about life her life? Lives? Sounds oh. plural. It does. I wonder what the grammatical construction is. This is the part of the podcast where we discuss grammar. <laughs> I, I, I love grammar, but um, I I imagine that it's because usually the word for life, chayim, is in a plural sort of construct, even though it's singular. Also, there's some words like this, like. Water, Mayim, is also in this uh, plural construct, even if it's referring to a singular thing. Elohim. I think Chaye Sarah is the Chayim Shel Sarah, the life of Sarah. And it is in this plural construct of Chayim, but it means the life of Sarah. And perhaps we all have lives, not just one life, but where you have different lives to different people. Oh, beautiful. Every life is really filled with multiple lives. To, that to save truth? a life is to save a world. So uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm connecting things to Judaism. Yes, uh, you're already making the connections. We're not ready for connections yet. We ready. need to first start with our one-minute one summary. summary. One-minute summary. One-minute summary. Here. Who's I'm going more, first this time? I believe it's me since last week. It's you. <laughs> last week I did it. This week you're doing it. Are are you ready for Chaya Sarapal? I am ready. As ready as I'll ever be. Um, I think this might be the first time where I won't need a full minute, but let's see. Well, what do we do if you don't take a full minute? Do we just sit and wait until the alarm goes off? Yes. <laughs> we have to. It's a meditation moment, which uh, I will subsequently, or you will subsequently edit out. <laughs> So here I go. My one minute summary, three, two, one, I'm starting. So Sarah dies. I'm pretty sure we don't know how or why she dies. Although I have an interesting theory later. Um, and Abraham, Abraham, sorry, purchases a grave site. Uh, then it's becomes an impetus to find a wife for Isaac. And Abraham's servant goes to look for, a wife for him, and they go upon a well, 
And there's a woman there and she's so nice because she offers to give the camels water. And I feel like the servant's like, oh, if she's giving water to camels, she must be really nice. So she'd be a good wife. Um, her name is Rebecca and she's related to Abraham somewhat. And uh, she becomes Isaac's partner and spouse and Abraham marries someone new. I'm going to basketball pass it back to you, Eric, to see how you interpret this. I caught it. Parsha. You caught it. You got it. You caught it. It's all. I got it. I caught it. Here I go. Here you go. Three, two, one. Even though the Parsha is called Life of Sarah, Really, we start with Sarah dying. And Abraham's like, oh, no, I didn't get my things in order. Where am I going to bury my beloved partner? And Abraham meets with the Hittites, meets somebody named Ephron, says, wow, you've got this nice double cave situation. Can I pay for it? And Ephron's like, no, Abraham, you're great. You can just have it. And Abraham's like, no. I must pay for it. And then he pays for it. And uh, that goes well. And Abraham's like, mm, I'm getting old. Isaac's getting old. How come nobody's finding a wife for Isaac? How come Isaac needs a wife? Maybe he needs a husband. We don't know. This is uh, uh, heteronormative stuff right here. Anyways, Abraham sends out his servant. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's all we get to hear about it. You know, uh, uh, really got mucked down on the details there. Really editorializing there. Uh, <laughs> it's a summary. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gotta work on that. No, I'd say that you, really you win the one minute summary this time. I give you the ball oh. that I you passed to me. Now I give it to you as an honored gift for winning this week's. Summary competition. Thank you so much. I will treasure this uh, metaphorical uh, sports ball forever. Although I feel like, as usual, I think I made mistakes. And I think you didn't make mistakes. So at least you're, you still got the accuracy award. And I've got oh, okay. the big picture award. You got the, the MVP, the most valuable Parsha Newts. Yeah. That's the most valuable podcast, podcaster. Speaking of Parsha Newt, let's do some Parsha Newt's exegesis on one random verse. Are you ready for that section? I am ready, and our producers are ready. Our producers are ready. Okay. I am going to <laughs> shuffle these verses from Chaye Sarah. And Paul, you're going to tell us when to stop. Three, two, one, stop. Okay. Oh, here is what we have. Chapter 24, verse 11. Now, it came to pass after Abraham's death that God blessed his son, Isaac. And Isaac dwelt near Be'er, Lechai, 
Roe. Hmm. Okay, and interesting. This is towards the end of the Parsha. What was the exact get, line again? Like, what was the number? Uh, chapter 24, verse 11. Verse 11. And while you look uh, it up, I'll read it for us in Hebrew too. Yes. Hmm. So, I think the context here mm-hmm. is things Abraham's gone to the end he's sets Isaac up with his wife his beloved Sarah is dead Abraham's set up he's got the the cave of Machpelah all good to go he's ready to go too so Abraham is buried and things get passed on now it's like Abraham was the the main this is also patriarchal stuff here. He's the center of the, the household and the blessings from God. Why is it more on Abraham than on Sarah? That's an issue. We need to remedy that in our way of viewing Judaism. But anyway, this verse is saying it's passing the blessings from Abraham are being passed on to Isaac. Uh, and then we get this detail that Isaac's at this place of the air lechairoi, the well of uh, seeing and life that we've been hearing about before. Well, I guess they come up a lot in the Tanakh. Mm-hmm. I think it's often where relationships begin, right? Like, uh, I believe yeah. not only did Yitzhak and... Right in this Yitzhak, Persia. Yeah, it's yeah. Persia, uh, connected to a well, because that's where mm-hmm. they found Rebecca. I feel that in later portions, I keep saying as if we're going to spoil the Bible. Uh, I feel like <laughs> Jacob, no spoilers, <laughs> no spoilers, spoiler alert. Uh, that Jacob and R- Rachel meet at a well as well. I feel, I feel like there's a few people who meet yeah. at a well, the same way that we talked in the other week, how infertility is a trope. Wells, romantic trope. wells is also a trope too. This verse doesn't say it, right? Cause this is the immediate aftermath of Abraham's death. But there's also like, this isn't romance, but there's reconciliation that's happening also. Because in last week's Parsha, right, Ishmael gets sent out and has like separate blessings. And then it seems like, and Isaac's moving forward in his separate life. And another trope in the Bible is conflict between siblings that seems to pass down every generation. But just before this, uh, the verse talks about how. Isaac and Ishmael actually come together to bury Abraham uh, as brothers. So it seems like despite that, like living their lives separately and they're going down different paths, there is some like coming together that happens at Abraham's death, which is, I think a nice, it's a brief, but nice moment. So as much as this Parsha, at first you might see it a little bit about forging partnerships of relationships. There's also the mm-hmm. relationships of, I guess in this situation, half siblings, yes, half siblings working mm-hmm. each other out. Uh, it's interesting too. I think we're, weren't Abraham and Sarah also 
half siblings. I feel um, no, the face you're making. I uh, uh, maybe I missed it. Uh, I feel like a midrash. That sounds like a, a something a midrash would say. According to Book of Genesis 2010, in conversation with the Philistine king, Abraham reveals Sarah to be both his wife and his half sister, sharing saying they mm. share a father but not a mother, and that's 2012. Mm. Um, let's just, okay. let's make sure, let's go back to the, the source. Um, let's see what the sources say. Cause there, this is from, he does keep doing that thing. He does do that thing multiple times with Sarah where he's like, Oh, she is my sister, not my wife. And I guess this explanation is saying there is some truth to that. It's not just totally a front. Uh, and also indeed, she's my sister, the daughter of my father but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Uh, oh, so I don't okay. know if maybe we're saying that this is. Yeah, I have skipped over that part. Because uh, it just seems. Paul is proving it to me by sending me the verse in the chat saying, yeah. I'm like, take that. Nice. Take that. Yeah. Aaron. Whoa. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> you know, this is now really a. Dude debates. Tanakh podcast. It's gonna, it's gonna go on the aggressive side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Because um, one of the things I find interesting, obviously, this level of co-sanguity, like marrying within your family, is now, I believe, forbidden in Judaism. I think it's in the Talmud specifically they forbid it. Um, but it's interesting that because there's another line in, in this parsha uh, to connect it to Jewish texts and Judaism where uh, Abraham says he doesn't want Isaac to marry someone of the Canaanites. They're kind of, to him, considered foreign. Yeah. He, wants Isaac's, <clears throat> he wants Isaac's partner to be of his own stock. Uh, although it seems like if he's Sarah's half-sister, I believe that Levon is also Sarah's half. I, I think they're all related somewhat. Um, so Rebecca is also, I think, somewhat related to Isaac. Um, but I yeah. wanted to touch on this Jewish value of, so even though this, obviously we don't have that level of situation and marriage in Judaism, you know, there's still a really big push in Judaism to endogamy, pushing to marrying within the Jewish faith, really in all streams of Judaism, except for the most liberal ones tend to better or worse. Yeah, it's a, big, it? it's a big debate, right? And uh, mm-hmm. in all the Jewish newspapers, certainly. Um, so it just, I, I, I suppose all groups and all religions and all faiths somewhat push people to marry inward. But I just feel endogamy is something Judaism is really known for. Like, where do you think kind of, what do you think is the value of endogamy or kind of where it would come from for Judaism and the Jewish people? Oh, the value is we have something special and we want to make sure that it's preserved by keeping it in a warm cocoon of like-minded people. Not minded. Blooded. Simple, like, like-blooded people. <laughs> um, it's funny how we use blood to mean genes as well. Like, oh, we're like, hmm. you know, it's in your blood. It's like-blooded people. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting too, just cause now what we know about genetics, it behooves people to, you know, 
Yes, this has served the Ashkenazi Jewish community poorly. Uh, and that there's lots of genetic diseases that are especially prevalent in communities that have had more endogamy. And I think it's a real catch-22 because, as we've talked about in other episodes, Judaism doesn't promote conversion. So you would think like, okay, well, let's bring in new people to mix things mm-hmm. up, but it's not really... So you're, you kind of almost have this catch-22 that there's a push to marry within the group and there's not a real push to bring new people in. Um, so I think it is a little bit of maybe something that is a challenge for the community. Like you said, there's challenges with certain genetic diseases. And I just really thought about endogamy when I was reading that line that, you know, Abraham doesn't want Isaac to marry someone local. He wants it to be mm-hmm. of his kin, go back to where I come from. And uh, it's just the sort of value we still see today. So it's complicated. Um, I think you're right. It probably does come to, you know, I, I like a lot of people, like millions of people across the world, I watch a lot of The Crown, which also seems to have endogamy mm-hmm. as part of the royal family. So there does seem to be this kind of primal connection. Like we want to keep some sort of continuity, um, but it can backfire obviously in ways then. Yeah. And I also want to put forward that that's not the only voice in our tradition. What's beautiful about our tradition in Torah is that it's multivocal. Um, and in our uh, royal lineage, I feel like one of the other voices that speaks to this most strongly is the story of Ruth, who is the predecessor of King David, who brings the messianic line, who of course is a Moabite and is not, is actually in some places in the Torah, it's forbidden, like not just discouraged, but like explicitly forbidden for Israelites to marry Moabites. But, you know, Boaz did it in the book of Ruth. And that actually is what brings the whole Davidic line. We're like the best. We're like the most beloved of the biblical authors. So maybe we can also learn from that model too. And maybe our community can let go of some of the fear and trauma of like only needing to be internal. In that if way. They do. It'll be because of our podcast. I think like this is also the, the nudge that people needed. She sang the song she knew all along. Oh, honey, And I, I do agree with you. Like I love the book of Ruth, one of the best books out there. And I do agree that there should be a little bit more openness um, but also, like, I would push back, like, I feel like we always quote the Book of Ruth because it's so extraordinary. You don't see this kind of story that much uh, in terms of Jewish stories. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like also one of the sages in the Talmud was a convert. Um, I don't know if he married anyone. Maybe he did. I forgot which one it is. If you know, write it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> the first five callers who identify that sage... Uh-huh. We'll have that satisfaction. What prize will we have? We need, to, we need to get some swag that we can give out. An LP headband. LP headband. We could do LP um, fabric bouquets, like the bouquet on the picture of it. You know, that's. Uh, um, I saw yeah. a, a Shark Tank about fabric bouquets recently, and I was like, is there a market for that? Apparently there is. Start it. Um, 
Does that just mean flowers made out of fabric? Yeah, like so they don't go bad, right? So if you're using them for your wedding procession, you can give it to someone else. Uh, and they can use it for their wedding procession. You don't have to have flowers live and die. Um, I can't tell if that's great or dystopic. It's a little dystopic. It's a little sterile. Uh, it's a little bit, reminds me of this word from my humanities degree, uh, simulacra. Like when mm. we're just imitating the thing. Pretending. And the yeah. imitation becomes the thing eventually. Uh, like my favorite thing, aspartame. Um the aspartame of bouquets, that's what that is. But, you know, there's my grandmother used to have dried flowers, so I know they have a, a place. Um, I don't know, we kind of talked about the dark yeah. side of endogamy in this Parsha. But I guess some of the light of what I liked in here, though, was also about, it's almost, we talk about how sometimes the Tanakh gives you advice. And I feel like this was giving advice on how to find a partner. Not on the endogamy uh, side yeah. of things. I would prefer to gloss over that lesson. But also that Rebecca seems nice. Like, uh, I think there's a real, like, okay, we're looking for someone who is kind. And this is a good way to pick a partner. So I do like, for me, I was like, oh, they're trying to teach us how to find a partner. You know, so. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's Send out your that, servant. Sorry, yeah, send out your servant. Step one, send Step out your servant. <laughs> uh, Give them broad directions. Because it's so interesting. Like, do you... I remember doing this exercise. I did this exercise twice, once in kind of a group therapy setting and once with a rabbi mm-hmm. where you take, this is going to sound really old timey. So everyone, please bear with me and don't be too shocked, but you take like 10, 20 qualities. You could have in a partner mm-hmm. and then you have to pick three or something. Um, and it like, let's, so, and the lesson is that you can't have someone who has all these traits. If you want someone who's smart, if you want someone who's funny, if you want someone who's kind, if you want someone who's a good cook, no one's going to have all those things. You can really pick three. But mm. where this game gets really almost too real, let's say, Aaron, like you did this game and you picked um, likes hiking. But every good trait yeah. is going to have an immutable bad trait. So you turn it over and it's just going to be like... <laughs> And yells at you like, oh, okay, so like, she likes hiking, but she's she yells at you like she's you know your uh, uh-huh. your temperaments aren't aligned. Uh, she's a yeller. You're a not yeller. From what I've known of you for these past uh, ten years, um, and for those communities that do want to encourage a dog, we to go back to that other point. They're like, and now you have to take away the one you like the least and replace it with Jewish. Like, you have to (laughs) give one up for Mm -hmm. Jewish to be one of the traits. You turn it over and it's like, eats with their mouth open. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds dark, but it's a good lesson. Like, you can't have everything with a person. You have to accept that everyone will have flaws. You yourself have flaws. Not you, Aaron. You have no flaws. But one, one has flaws. Um, so I just like how it was kind of a lesson on how to think about partnerships besides the, the servant thing, you know, how, how do you pick a partner in life? Yeah. And we have this running, uh, theme, at least the last few weeks of noticing animals, mm-hmm. doves, animal sacrifices, and like the kindness and compassion that, uh, Rebecca shows is right. Kindness to the camels, kindness to animals. I feel like that's also... Notable thing. That is a good point. I didn't 
make that connection to the animal piece. I guess, yeah, because she's giving water to a camel, is it? Or a horse? Camels. Which Makes sense. some people, I get too bogged down in some of the biblical criticism stuff. I feel like I'm listening back down. to previous episodes. This is like one of my shticks. You're like trying to be like, what's the lesson that we can learn from this? I'm like, oh, biblical scholars say something that has no meaning, but I wanted to. So this is one, maybe one of those points where I'm going to bring that shtick up. But biblical scholars like to point out that probably the timeline that uh, the Torah presents itself with doesn't actually stand up to the historical time frame because camels were not domesticated at the time that this is purporting to have taken place. So I love biblical criticism. So there's no complaints for me. Um, it's, I had no idea about that. It's kind of like, yeah, I guess what you call anachronistic. Yeah. Is that the term uh-huh. that is this thing that didn't yeah, exist at the time anachronistic. Uh, was brought in unless, you know, I'm always worried of spoiling things, but again, when we talk about land of milk and honey, mm-hmm. but that honey refers to date syrup, not bee honey. Um, yeah. So maybe camel meant any bipedal animal, and it was a horse, and then mm. came to me camel. Like I want to, oh. I want to defend, I want to defend the camels. Perhaps they were horses. Peace. Maybe they were actually horses. Okay. But then you're going to go back. You're going to Google things. You'll be like, Paul, actually, there were no horses either. People rode on slugs. Uh, It was very slow paced, but, you know, they made it work. A different time. A different time. Well, what are you taking away from this partial, Paul? What I'm taking away, you know, and I feel like so so much of this is sparked by those passages you pick out. Uh, we really kind of confronted some challenging things about Judaism and its desire to stick within the own crowd, which for better and for worse can have advantages and disadvantages, but also some wisdom about relationships and how we can think about relationships. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like everything, like just like those sheets of paper with a good trait and a bad trait, um, there's a challenging thing and a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. we learned about this passage about the Jewish people and about ourselves. How do we, pick our partners. Um, it's not something I thought about when I was younger. Uh, but yeah, that's what, how about you? Do you have any kind of encapsulating one-liners that kind of show how you feel? Yeah. As you're saying this, like even there's things that sometimes we feel like are different actually come back and we can see, Oh, maybe there's similarity. I feel like with Ishmael, I'm thinking about that line of, uh, feels like you're going off and doing, staring your own nation, but there's moments that we can come back. Maybe there's family members like from other lineages that get farther away, but we can come back. And that's what I'm feeling with finding Rebecca. Like sometimes things are left to the side. We, we pull things back. We leave them to the side. And we come back and forth. It always comes back like that looping spiral. The looping uh, spiral. It yeah. all, it's all connected. Well, this has been another exciting Alfie Parsha podcast. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and... And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Have a great week.
Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Stay safe.